Welcome back to another episode of Gym Sessions Podcast. I'm super excited to get into today's show with our special guest. Kind of weird because we have the same name. So <laughs> when I introduce you, it's going to feel awkward. But we've got Justin Castelli on the show. Justin is the founder, owner of RLS Wealth. He's the co-founder of AGC Group. And most importantly, we'll get into this today, his newest project, Pursuit, mm -hmm. which is all about pursuing your dreams, pursuing your passions, your goals, and doing it in a way that you preserve your health in the meantime. So thank you for joining me. If you want to give the guests a little bit of info about yourself, we yeah. could get right into it. For sure. And, and I know RLS wealth is not easy to say. Like I struggle yeah, saying R it. That did not come off, yeah, it, off the, it, I, look, the tongue. I, listen, replay me. I didn't say it right either. <laughs> so I appreciate being here. And yes, it's weird to call each other Justin and like be because I'll never talk third person. If you ever hear me refer to myself as Justin, smack the shit out of me. Um, but yeah, so uh, the only thing I would add to to the bio is that I am also a husband and a father. I always like to leave Most those things. Most important. Right, yeah. exactly. A lot of times we go straight to the professional. Uh, but my wife, Angela, uh, I always shout out her entrepreneurial journey as well. She's got a, a business called Roman and Leo. Uh, which is a boys clothing store in downtown Fishers. I bring up Roman and Leo because the R and the L of RLS is Roman Leo and then the S is Silas. Ah. So my three boys. Um, so when I launched my firm seven years ago, I didn't have a name that I really knew that I wanted. And I just said, well, I'm going to name after the boys. And it was RL Wealth. And then we had Silas. So I rebranded and brought that in. That's um, dope. See, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never knew that. So I've been a, you know, a financial advisor my whole career. But if we go before that, I've lived in Indianapolis my whole life. I uh, grew up in what I think is probably the best time of basketball in Indiana. Um, you know, we go back. We can argue about that later. My later. sophomore year, <laughs> my sophomore year was the the first year of no class basketball. So grew up during class basketball, which everybody in Indiana loves. Mm -hmm. But I just look at the talent I played against in Marion County, and it was just bonkers. Yeah. Like I won't name drop, but it was it was bonkers. <laughs> so grew up in Indianapolis, played basketball. That was my only love. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, went and played Division Three basketball at Franklin College. Uh, played there all four years. Uh, we went to the D3 tournament my sophomore year, which was pretty cool. Um, sure. And then graduated college not knowing what it was I was going to do. And we may get into this a little bit, but I, like, I look back on that. It was crazy. And it just everything fell into place. And I know you had DG on earlier, and I haven't heard what the conversation about. I'm sure we talk about the universe and the way things play oh, yeah. out and journey. Like I look back and yes, I was lucky to find this profession that I've grown to love. Um, but I, I like, it could have gone a different direction. Um, and, and I guess I'll round this intro out is that, you know, I've been a financial advisor for 18 years. I started my own firm seven years ago. Um, when I started my own firm, the entrepreneur in me was born. Um, I didn't grow up entrepreneurial. But since then, I've launched other ventures that yeah. you mentioned, um, and it's just been really cool to follow my passions, which led me to these other things, which is what leads me to pursuit um, and, and wanting to encourage other people to do what you're doing. Like you've got a passion for basketball that started a long time ago. You found a way to incorporate that passion into your life. And now you have a business that you're building, um, doing things like this, creating this awesome life, doing the thing that you love the most. For sure. And I want more people to be able to do that. Yeah, I love that, man. Before we talk about pursuit, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go a little bit into the, the depths of the RLS yeah. and the AGC. Mm -hmm. um, Two very difficult to pronounce acronyms, yeah. but very awesome 
groups, organizations. Mm -hmm. If you want to kind of talk about what you do day to day at at your firm Mm -hmm. and then hit on the um, financial group as well. And then Mm -hmm. the book you guys got coming out as well. Yeah. So RLS Wealth, um, and maybe we'll spend the most time there because maybe I can pull out some things to think about when it comes to finance for viewers and listeners just to think about in their own own journey. Um, it's a, I own the firm, it's an independent, it's called a registered investment advisory firm, RIA. All that means is it's the way it's structured. It's a fee only firm, mm-hmm. meaning I don't operate off of commissions, I don't sell anything, I just get compensated from my clients in a variety of fees. The work there, I think a lot of people when they hear financial advisor, they, their minds go to a couple things. One is probably going to be investments in the stock market. Um, another one, depending on your experience with financial advisors, might be life insurance mm-hmm. because there's a lot of um, people who say they're financial advisors. They end up really just being life insurance salespeople, which is not bad. We all need life insurance, but it's, they're not really doing financial planning. They're just right. putting you into a product. Um, that's a debate for another day about what's the best way to go. <laughs> but So my firm, the focus of it is the actual planning part of it. Mm-hmm. So figuring out, Justin, what do you what what do you want to do in life? What's the life you want to create for you and your family? And then what's the means that you have today? How do we plan to make those things happen? And the profession's gone kind of it's kind of going on a, a new journey for it. For a long time it was sales, then it was only investments, and now it's really going to about what, what's called life planning, helping people plan the lives that they want. Mm-hmm. And that's what I have always focused on before I kind of found this term life planning. But to me, it just seems natural and important. So we can sit down and talk about you've got you know, $20,000 you want to invest. What's the best way to invest it? And that's an important conversation. There's good ways to handle that money. But let's talk about how can that $20,000 help you and your family achieve the life and the goals that you want. Like that, That's a much more impactful conversation right. and truthfully a more important conversation. And to me, that's a lot of fun. So I have about 90 households that I work with. I have young professionals. I have retirees because early in my career, I worked with retirees, a lot of retired teachers. So that was how I started my firm. But the reason I started my firm was I wanted to work with everybody. I didn't want to tell anybody no. So I came up with different fee structures, different levels of service to try to make it more affordable and to be able to work with my peers because I know what you're going through through life and I know what you need today to plan for the future as well. Um, So it's a lot of centered around what do we want out of life? Are you on the path that you want to be on or are you on the path that somebody else sent you on? Right. And if we need to change paths, how do we do so? And there's a lot of finances that go into it. Yeah. Um, but for those who don't know what a true financial plan encompasses, the investments are a part of it. The life insurance is a part of it. But there's a lot of other things as well. There's estate planning. Uh, so, you know, you've got young kids. Hopefully you guys have wills set up that if something happened to you and your wife, the, you know, the boys would be taken care of. You know where they're going to go. Who's going to take care of their finances? That's an important part of financial planning that people kind of skip over because it's not a fun conversation. Right. Um, disability insurance, you know, you're working, you have an income, you need to protect that income. What if you can't go do your job? How do you keep money coming in? Right. Disability insurance. So there's all these things that like we need to think about when it comes to our finances that a lot of people skip over because we're not taught this stuff. Um, and we're also not wanting to talk about those conversations. And the sexy part of invest, financial planning is investing. It's right. the stock market. That's where it's crypto. Gets excited, so you go straight yeah. to that. And that's, that is important, but there are other things that are more important to get there. How are you handling your cash flow? Do you know where your money's going? Um, there's a whole language to money that we're not taught, and money for so long has been taboo. So school's not teaching us. Our parents might not be talking about it. How are we supposed to learn about money? And that's part of the planning process as well, is mm-hmm. to find out what you know 
what's your experience with money been? What's your money story? Like, how do you view money? Because everybody has different views on money. Like, I think money is a tool. That's true, yeah. And I want to try to encourage as many people as possible is don't look at money as a restrictor. Don't look at it as something to be afraid of. Look at it as something that's a tool that will allow you to pursue the life that you right. want. You can be responsible with it. So how do we build the responsible habits? What's that look? And then that's what a financial plan is. The plan says, all right, here's what you've done in the past. Here's how we're going to correct things if we need to. Here's where you want to go in the future and all the things you want to do between now and that end goal of retirement. Like, let's not just plan for retirement. Let's plan for life. Here's what you need to do to protect your family and accomplish these goals. And then the planning process just becomes kind of a review. So we get the plan in place. You go execute on the things you need to do. You outsource what you need to to me. And then we keep on meeting and reviewing. And as life changes, we, we adjust the plan. You know, it might be another child comes into it or maybe you change what it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Your business you know, goes bonkers and now you have all this extra money, all these other goals. The planning process is, is fluid, which is what I love about it is that it's not transactional. It's really relationship-based. Like I have a pretty cool business to where I've been working with some of my clients for 12 or 13 years. And these clients have held my boys as babies. They've knitted blankets. Like That's it's sick. really cool. So yeah. it's, it's no longer business. This is an extension of my family and friends that I'm helping with. And I get to spend time with people that I know and love helping them achieve the lives that they want. So that's what all us well. So my day-to-day -day is you know, meeting with clients, it's reviewing plans, it's managing investments, um, and then you know, adjusting things on the fly as life happens for my clients. That's dope. Um, so it, it's fun. Like I, I, as much as I love it, though, I've decided I don't want to continue to grow that business, at least not actively. So I have done something that most financial advisors don't do is I've, I've capped it. Like I'm not taking on new clients. Because I have other ventures that I want to pursue and I don't want to sacrifice the relationships that I currently have. I don't want to tell those clients to go find a new financial advisor, but I also don't want to take on a bunch of new clients because that takes away the time for me to doing these other things. Right. And one um, of those other things is, is the, the AGC, group, right? Yep. Yeah. So the AGC, is, it's really cool. Um, it is a group of 175 financial advisors across the globe. It's a global community. That's so dope. Yeah, we've got some in Canada, <laughs> um, some in the UK, and a couple in India. And the, the way it was born was back in 2019, my co-founder, his name's Taylor Schulte, he's an advisor out in San Diego. We got together and we're kicking around some ideas to collaborate together and he had suggested doing a community. And as soon as he said community, I said yes, because I was thinking of building a community for entrepreneurial clients at RLS when I was trying to grow it. And I was like, okay, I'm, I wanna do a community. The sense of community is fun, um, but I'm gonna do it with advisors. and we had a goal of having 50 beta members that we were going to open up to. And between the two of us, I've spent a lot of time over the years having conversations with financial advisors, talking about creating content, how to set up a podcast, how to do their business, how to leave. Uh, we both do that. And we went back to our calendars and basically put together a spreadsheet of like 300 advisors between the two of us that in 18 months we'd had one-on-one -on -one meetings with just to talk shop. Yep emailed them and said, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're building. Uh, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but if you're interested, you know, here's what it is. And within 72 hours, we sold out our 50 spots, <laughs> That's dope. which is cool. And so now it, you know, basically what it is, it's a, it's an online platform. We use a platform called circle.so. So it's think like a combination of Facebook and Slack as far as organization. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, threads on the side. There's a main channel where everybody shares things. And it's just a place for advisors to come ask questions, share successes. Um, we've had advisors join up together to start firms. We've had them hire. 
Uh, we've had people leave the firms they were at to start their firm with the help of others. It's really cool because in our profession, for so long, it was, I'm an advisor, you're an advisor, like we're enemies. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's zero sum game. There's only, you know, it, if I win, you lose, or you win, I lose. It's, it's, it's the only way. And the truth is, like, we all as advisors are really just one big workforce looking to serve people and help them. So rather than view each other as competitors, we should look at each other as colleagues and peers, even if we're at different firms. Because we can only serve so many people. Uh, we can only, and, and some people only want to work with a certain type of client. So there's more than enough people for every financial advisor out there to do well and take good care of people. So these are people sharing best practices, you know, sharing the spreadsheets they create, they use with the clients, templates, all these different things. There's not an ounce of competition amongst here. And it's all about trying to move the profession forward, which is cool. And you mentioned we have a book coming out. So we have a book coming out March of 2023 called More Than Money which is a compilation of 29 of the advisors wrote a 2000 word essay basically, but it's stories of financial planning from their practices. So we anonymized all the stories. Like that. So no client's gonna be known who it is, but it's stories of real financial planning. And the reason it's called more than money is that when you really understand money and you understand financial planning, finances are way more personal than they actually are the numbers. Yeah. And so more than money means that financial planning is more than just dollars. It's more than saving and investing. It's, it's a lot more. And these stories tell, these, uh, tell that. So it's really cool. And we had plans of self-publishing it, just going to Amazon and doing it. And we were lucky enough to get picked up by Harriman House, which listeners probably don't know who Harriman <laughs> House is, but Harriman House is the publisher for yeah. financial books. So there's a book called The Psychology of Money. It sold over more than 2 million books. Morgan House is the author. Harriman House... Did, they published his book. So our advisors are on the same publisher as Morgan Housel, who we all look up to. And, and it's really cool. And the real cool thing is all of the advisor proceeds, Harriman's got to eat, so they're taking their cut. But all the advisor proceeds that would come to the AGC or the authors are being um, donated to different financial planning charities. So there's a BLX, which is an organization that has internships for um, black and minority advisors. There's the financial of um, financial planning, the Foundation for Financial Planning that does pro bono planning. All the proceeds are going to them, and then if we sell enough books, we'll start bringing in more yeah. um, to to get it to more. So it's really cool that this book. It's a great marketing thing for our our um, advisors. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of AGC on it, so it's not really about the community. It's more about the advisors, and then it's about the stories in there, helping people understand what it's like to actually work with a financial advisor, and then. Kind of the, the last part that's cool about it is I think it shows other financial advisors what real planning looks like because yeah. a lot of advisors are still stuck in the old way of doing things of sales or focusing on one area because that's all they know. They don't know that this other world of financial planning exists. And truthfully, I think if people read the book, those relationships that they're going to read about the advisor and the client, like that's what you're going to want from a financial advisor. You're not going to want somebody to tell you which stock to buy or which fund to go in. You're going to want somebody that's going to tell you, how do you build this business? How do you take this risk that you're taking and take your business to the next level and do it so your family isn't in jeopardy? Because you know that when your business picks up on its own and it's all yours and your partners, what that means for you and your family financially, quality of life, opportunities in the future. You want somebody to help you do that, not pick the S&P 500 or NASDAQ, which fund to pick. Right. You want somebody to help you build your life. And that's not what we have done historically in our profession. So the book is going to share all that. Now, a couple of things I want to hit on before I forget, because it's relevant to what you said. 
uh, obviously this is a basketball podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So people are like, oh, what what is the financial planning have to do with basketball. And now you cut away to Antoine Walker yeah, and all the, all the yep. war stories that are out there yep. about um, athletes in general that have been taken advantage of by yep. financial professionals or just not knowing how to manage themselves. Exactly. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, that's where I was, that's where I was heading. One thing that you mentioned was like the, the typical approach that financial advisors have mm-hmm. in the past with other advisors is like mm-hmm. this, this, butting heads thing there's no Mm -hmm. relationship and i think that is a big aspect of strength conditioning Mm -hmm. and coaching in general yeah like i think i mentioned in episode one that i couldn't even really ask anybody like hey how'd you get your gym started how'd Mm -hmm. you do this that the other because they they protect those secrets yep because they see it as a threat when really they should just see it like that person is going to help a person that I can't reach. Mm-hmm. So why would I not want to give them the tools to be able to do that to the best of their ability? Mm-hmm. Um, Scarcity mindset yeah. and insecurities. Yeah, insecurity is, is a, it's a big thing because I think a lot of people, the most insecure people don't know that they're insecure. Mm-hmm. They think that it's like this like will to win that they have, but mm-hmm. it's really like them trying to cover up their insecurity. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to bring that up because I think we're shifting the culture a little bit like mm-hmm. on our end. And I would say that financial advising and just money management in general is like hundreds of years ahead of strength conditioning <laughs> as, a, as an industry. Mm-hmm. But we're starting to see some of the trends mm-hmm. of people being like, OK, we can collaborate. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're not the enemies. Even people in the same city are starting to finally get the wheels spinning on projects together and just in general just being, you know, professional. And, Which makes sense yeah. because you're going to have a different expertise or even a different way of explaining and coaching something than someone who's doing the same thing as you. Right. And by working together with it, I mean, if you really do care about the athletes you're working with, you should want to collaborate with other people to make right. sure they're getting the best approach and the best explanations to, to strengthen their, their game. Yeah. So yeah, you you like a strength coach should partner with a regular coach and maybe even two strength coaches combined because yep. there's different ways of doing things. And at the end of the day, if it's about the athlete, it shouldn't be about you two competing. Exactly. And, and also, like, there's going to come a time where you might not be able to take on a new, a new athlete. You're, you're capped. Yep. So you refer it to the person you're partnering with. And that goodwill comes back because that person's going to get capped or somebody else is going to get capped. And they're going to refer somebody to you. And, yep. again, if, it, if we put away that scarcity mindset and realize there's more than enough business, no matter what it is, for everybody to eat and do well. And let's just focus on the people that we're serving and make sure that we're taking the best care of, we, of them as we can, whether that's me or, or, or another financial advisor or you or another trainer, like put that person first and, and make sure they're where they need to be and good things are gonna happen. Right, I mean, providing value is like the, the number one way to make money, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, if you, if you just help people, it might not immediately come to you, but I think mm-hmm. like just helping people, providing value, being genuine with what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. I think is always going to give you some type of return, whether it be financial or just, you know, happiness, mm-hmm. joy. I think that means a lot in the end. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on that you alluded to was there's so many uh, horror stories mm-hmm. about athletes being taken advantage of mm-hmm. people leeching off of athletes, whether it be friends, family, um, even professionals that they hire that are supposed to help them with these things. Mm-hmm. Like there's been so many stories of uh, athlete managers basically stealing money from them mm-hmm. or their agent or their 
freaking parents. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? There's there's been so many of these stories, and it's it's not slowing down. Right. Like it's probably getting worse because, in all reality, the top athletes in in the world right now are probably coming to their peak at the youngest that they ever have. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got 17, 18, 19 year old NBA players crushing it, making hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, luckily the NFL still has that three year rule, but mm -hmm. you know, kids are getting younger and younger and getting a lot of money. So like you said, they're not teaching this stuff in school. Mm -hmm. And if your parents don't know, then where are you learning it? Yep. So it's not like, you know, you can reach every athlete in the world, but what are some things that you can give to athletes, coaches, parents that might be listening to this, just some real key nuggets to be like, here are some things that you can do now mm -hmm. to set yourself up for success in the future, whether you be a high school, college, or a new pro athlete. Yeah. I, the good thing is on the other end of the spectrum, you've got all the, you know, on one end, you've got more people being taken advantage of, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of great information out there that's yeah that's free. Once you figure out who are the people you can trust that are actually out there educating versus who's trying to pitch something. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, one thing I would just thought is, I think a lot of times like spending time and reading and studying is going to be one of the best things you can do. I would encourage any athlete to start adopting the mindset that nobody's going to care more about your finances than yourself. And if that's the case, you need, you owe it to yourself to develop some, some level of literacy about money you don't have to know it all but you have to know enough about it to where you can pull open you know your checking and savings and be able to see where money's going and know what you have like don't just say this person's going to handle my money and then turn a blind eye to it uh, you need to be involved in those conversations and you need to be monitoring it yourself regularly so you can catch a problem early on mm -hmm. i mean i i love my clients i do the best job for them i can do and i care about them and i care about their money but I still, it's impossible for me to care about their money more than they do. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like I can be close, but it's never going to be there. And, and in this profession, it's very easy to become a financial advisor. You just have to pass some tests, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Low barriers <laughs> to entry to get good people in. Sounds but, like it's my industry. <laughs> yeah, low barriers to entry to get people in that are, that are going to take advantage or don't know enough to actually help people. So I, I think educating yourself, there's a great book um, called I Will Teach You Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. That has a lot of like basic principles, budgeting, how to manage debt. You know, debt gets a bad name for a good reason, but debt can be a good thing. You know, mm -hmm. leveraging other people's money on terms favorable to you is not a bad thing. The people with the greatest wealth in, in, in the form of dollars, we can talk about what wealth really is, but the, the richest people that have the most money, like they leverage other people's money and keep their money to themselves. So Understanding debt can be a tool, but also understanding how to use it properly. The, the book covers all those things. Um, and it's done in a very relatable way, easy to understand. So like I would read that book um, and I would just start to find tools. Like there's online budgets and things like that that you can use. But the first basic is understanding your cash flow, money in, money out, and, and trying to live below your means if you can. Yeah. Don't spend more than you bring in. Why is that so hard? <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's just part, part of it is just the way we are as humans. Um, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, like that's not something we all set out to do, right. which is, oh, we saw, you know, so-and-so got a new car. Well, I'd like to get a new car. And like, it, it, it just, it's in the way we are. It's the way we're wired. Like we are right. hardwired to make bad financial decisions. 
like in our DNA, it's to make bad financial <laughs> like our because our DNA is to survive. Yeah, and it's very emotional and it's fight or flight and and those fight or flight emotions tie into to money and and not necessarily always in spending, but if we think about if we go to investing, that's why people sell at the bottom of the market. When the market crashes, it's scary, and now it's in protection. Well, I got to protect the little bit of little bit of money I have left so it doesn't go away. So I'm going to pull it out of the stock market and get out of it, and then the market right. recovers. And now we lock those losses in. That that's not something that somebody sets out they want to do. It's that the emotions and the hardwiring in us get so strong it, yeah. we can't. Like we have to do it. Um, so I think a lot of the money problems root in the way we are just genetically designed. But then the lack of understanding that and the lack of understanding money compounds it. Because if you know, all right, I know why I want to make this decision. I, I know why I want to get out of the market when it's down 20%. I'm scared. It's my fight or flight kicking in. Right. But I also know that historically markets recover. And over the long run, these things even themselves out. So I'm not going to fall victim to what my mind wants me to do because I understand how investing works. Right. And you can apply that to anything. So I think having that understanding is very important from the get-go. When it comes to interviewing or talking to financial advisors, you know, I think trusting your gut, your intuition is rarely wrong. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think when you go back and hear the stories of people who have had bad experiences, they can go back to what, yeah, there was, there was that thing about that advisor, probably a guy, that just didn't feel right and I should have listened. Like, listen to your intuition, like it's not gonna steer you wrong. And that intuition may just steer you to ask more questions to get better understanding. Transparency is gonna be very, very important. So if a financial advisor won't tell you how they get paid, like, here's how you can calculate my fee, or here's the commission that I get made, to me, that's a red flag. Big red flag. They shouldn't, there, there should be, like, financial advisors make good money. And I think, they des I think we deserve it because we, we take a lot of stress off of people and we have a very heavy responsibility to make sure that you don't run out of money. Right. So, um, but understanding how we get paid, what that fee is. So you can also check and say, hey, I paid Justin $10,000 last year. Did I get $10,000 worth of value? Right. And you as the individual determine what value is is it hey we made way more than the stock market that's all i care about mm -hmm. or is it man I, I would pay him double that because i know i don't have to worry i know my family's good i can go play ball i can focus on taking care of myself and i know my money is in good shape that peace of mind right. is worth 20 grand a year so yes i got the value but you need to know how i get paid you need to know how you can calculate it on yourself and if i won't tell you red flag and i would move away yeah and then do you do your values align with the way that advisor is being compensated? Do you like the fact that the way your advisor gets compensated is by selling you products? Maybe that's good for you, maybe it's not. It's up to you to decide, but you need to align your values with them. And then finally, I think a key thing is how well does your advisor listen? Because if they're not listening to you to really find out what it is that you want, they're not gonna be able to do a good job making sure your money is aligned with what you're trying right. to accomplish. So if your advisor after they kind of tell you about their story, spends more time talking and less time listening, to me, that would be a red flag as well. Right. So like, I, I just think it's you know, having the ability to judge people. And I, think, I don't think that the people who have had bad experiences were wrong for that. I just think they didn't know what to look for. Hey, this person was, I was told to go see this advisor by a friend. He works with them. I trust that person, so I'm going to go. 
Um, I'm not really, I don't know what to ask. What they said sounds good. Their office is nice. They got a nice car. They must be successful. So that means that they're good at their job. I'm just going to trust them. That literally happened to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I had no idea what right. this guy was doing. Yeah, mind. exactly. So ask questions. I mean, ask a lot of questions. Yeah. And if they won't answer your questions and take the time to educate you, then they might still be a good advisor, but that would not be one of somebody I'd want to work with. I would want to, if I was working with an advisor and didn't know the world of finance, I would want somebody who led with education, yep. talked at a level that I could understand, not dumb it down, but don't talk about all these betas and gammas and all these things we talk about in finance. <laughs> that language exists yeah. to make us sound smart. Yep. The best advisors don't need to sound smart. The best advisors can explain to you in very easy to understand terms what your money is doing or what they're doing with your plan and why it needs to be done. And if they won't take the time to do that, then I would tell them kick rocks and move on to find someone else. You know, there's different, you know, different structures. There's wirehouses, which is like the Merrill Lynch's and the Morgan Stanley's. You know, they have their own culture and their own ways of working with clients, understanding that there's the independent world. There's the RIA space. Like it's, it's tough to navigate the world of finance but the best thing you can do is just ask a lot of questions. I do think referrals are valuable. Yeah. Um, if you can find somebody who specializes in working with athletes or maybe not necessarily athletes, but entrepreneurs, people who have similar lives as an a, a athlete would, you know, irregular income or yeah. income comes in in big chunks. Okay. How do we take that big chunk and stretch it out over the year if you don't get it paid monthly? Having an advisor who has experience doing that will be valuable. Not that not that advisor can't learn that, but if that's what they're doing all the time, then they're going to know a lot of nuances about your lifestyle and your profession that will help. Because there's probably unique things that pro ball players over in Europe can do from a planning standpoint that isn't normal to somebody playing in the U.S. So if you can find an advisor that specializes in pro ball players in Europe or they have somebody on their team that does that, like that would be a good look as well for me. Right. A couple of things you said, again, making connections to – from industry to industry is like the the industry language mm -hmm. like trainers do the same thing mm -hmm. they, they want to sound smart so they use all these big words and the athlete doesn't know what the hell they're talking about mm -hmm. so it really makes you look like you don't know what you're talking about because mm -hmm. the athlete is even more confused by mm -hmm. the drill or the exercise or whatever you're trying to explain because you threw in anatomy or biomechanics words or s something like that like when you could have just said, hey, hinge at the hips, you know, mm -hmm. send your hips backwards mm -hmm. instead of saying like, uh, you know, we want to put load on the hamstrings and keep your torso rigid and da 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 Like nobody yeah. knows the hell that means. Mm -hmm. And so I think I got caught up with that, with my experience uh, with the financial advisor mm -hmm. that I eventually moved on from was like, yeah, he, he wowed me with the big words mm -hmm. and I didn't understand what he was talking about, but I was like, yeah, like that dude, he gets it though. Mm -hmm. Like he knows his shit because mm -hmm. he said all these big words. And then a year in, I gave him all this money and I don't know why mm -hmm. still to this day. I mean, mm -hmm. this is over like 10 years ago, but I just still don't know why. And mm -hmm. Catherine and I, we always laugh about it. Like, what the hell were we thinking? We, mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't like we gave him crazy amount of money, but a couple thousand bucks and we were like yeah, that matters 24, then. you know, yeah. at the time. And I'm like, what was he doing? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know he was doing something, trying, I mm -hmm. guess, but... Anyway, um, you, you hit on a couple of the red flags I wanted to talk about, mm -hmm. which is huge for athletes. So, mm -hmm. you know, recapping, just asking questions, mm -hmm. um, do as much research as you can handle on your own. Mm -hmm. 
and then obviously go off of vibes, mm-hmm. find somebody who kind of gets you. And that again, ties in with strength conditioning or coaching, or if you're being recruited, you, you go with somebody who makes you feel like they value you mm-hmm. as the person, mm-hmm. not your stat line or your contract or your clout. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you want to go with somebody who has that relationship built with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important whether it's sports or financial advising, whatever the case may be. Another, another thing to do, think of red flags. Yeah. You can pull up every financial advisor's record. So mm. if you go like to the SEC's website, you can pull up the advisor's name and you can see if there's any complaints. So if we have any complaints from clients, they have to be logged. Um, now, like little complaints like, oh, you didn't call me back quick enough. Like that's not going to be there. But if, yeah. like, <laughs> if they've been sued, if they've been... Um, you know, accused of certain things, like those are things all show up there. So if there's any obvious red flags, like they've had legal action against them, those are going to show up um, online. It's public record as well. So that'd be a, another good thing. And there's That's huge. One thing I thought about as you were kind of talking, I was at a conference in September and I forget the advisor's name. It's Joe something. And he's a former NBA player, but he works with athletes. And Isaiah Thomas was there, and oh, the guy, he played for the Cubs, recently retired baseball player, one of the, was on the Cubs team when they won the World Championship. I forget his name. Anyways, they were talking about how, why they work with Joe and how they chose him, and you know the fact that he played in the NBA, they liked. But then one of the things they both really liked is when they talked about their money. So this is kind of a way to think about your money as an athlete. They had money that was kind of like, all right, here's your living money, here's your long-term preparation money, and then they would carve out a pot of money that was kind of like their exploration money. I, they had another term for it, but basically was it was like fun. Yeah, <laughs> fun well, money. it wasn't fun because that meant you could go blow it on stuff. Yeah. But like this is the money that they go start businesses with, or they go uh, invest like in that. startups. Yeah. That this is kind of like your like not even lottery money, but this is money that you can risk, mm-hmm. high risk, high reward, Potential but you can money. afford to do that. And if you have these buckets, then it's like okay, well, as long as those are all funded, then you can go do it. And I think that's a good way. To think about viewing your money is making sure that all of the important things are covered. And we were joking about shoes earlier. Like, you need to find balance in life. Right. Um, yes, as a professional ball player, which hopefully a lot of the folks on here are or will be in the future, you have a finite career to maximize your earnings. Like, I can be an advisor till I'm 90 if I want. Right. Like, my earning potential is long. Yeah. <laughs> Athletes, it's short. So, you need to make sure you maximize that money while you have it, but also find that balance. So it doesn't mean you can't buy the nice car or have the nice house or buy the jewelry, but make sure you have everything else in order and make sure that when your playing days are over, you've got a good foundation. And I would also say start planning early for what that post-career life looks like. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think it's really exciting to think about branding and your personal brand and sponsorships and partnerships. Like, How can you build that into the financial plan? That would be something I would love to see more financial advisors talk about is, all right, especially with athletes, money in, money out, investing, all those things. But let's also talk about your brand as an athlete and what that means to your financial plan. What can you be doing now to build that, to position you that when you retire or leave, you have these other things already built or you can go do these other things because of what you've done while you were active. No, that's dope. Um, before we move on to a little bit of the the sports conversation, I mm-hmm. want to talk about um, some of the new school money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think this is super relevant to athletes. Things like NFTs, mm-hmm. um, crypto, uh, NIL deals, things up that alley. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're fully understanding right. them yet. I know I'm speaking for myself. Like 
Most I, I, people aren't. I understand a little bit enough right. to be dangerous, but mm -hmm. like, if, if you have any thoughts on any of those items, or even if new school money is even a proper term mm -hmm. for them, it's just like alternative mm -hmm. forms of income. Kind of, where's your thought process there? Yeah. So unlike a lot of advisors, I I believe in the crypto space. Um, I've been personally investing in crypto since 2017, before the big run up. Mm -hmm. The way I look at it, though, is I look at it as the top of the pyramid. So we know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. There's a hierarchy of needs when it comes to finances. It's you know the emergency fund, the insurances, the estate planning, the long-term savings. At the very top, if you have all those other things addressed, then, all right, let's talk about crypto. I don't think you need to have crypto or NFTs a part of your portfolio today to reach long-term goals. I think traditional investing gets you there. Yep. But... If you have an interest, if you have a desire to learn about it and be in it, I don't think you should shy away from it, but I think you should be responsible with it. And where it is today, it's, it's really, really early. Um, so I would look at it, any money I put into crypto, I have put in crypto or will in the future, if it goes to zero, I'll be bummed, but like yeah. my family's okay. That's that, that yeah. subcategory that right. Joe was talking about, that yep. exploration. Yeah, money. exactly, exactly. But where does it fit in? You know, it, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the foundation of crypto, the, the Bitcoin and, and the NFTs, it's technology. It's technology right. that's underlying with it that brings these crypto assets to the market to be able to be there. You know, we had the huge NFT rage last year as the, the board apes and <laughs> I was all crypto in. punks and all those things. Like that, like looking back in hindsight, obviously that was a bubble and yep. we knew that was going to happen. That's the, like people talk about Beanie Babies, like that's this generation's version of that. But that doesn't mean that there's not value in NFTs. Right. Where I see the value in NFTs is less about investing in the JPEG right now, investing in the board Ape. I see, especially for athletes, the opportunity to create something based on your brand that you own and that you can control. So I look at more of the NFT, the buzzword in crypto is utility. Like what's the value? Okay, I've got this JPEG, but what value does it, what does it, right. what does it do for me? And you can do a lot of cool things with, with it from a utility standpoint. So for example, I just had my first cohort class um, with the pursuit. I call it the collective. The three people who went through it, I created a collective NFT for them. So the NFT, I will send to them for free. They're not paying for it. But this NFT will be their lifelong ticket to events that will be pursued. It'll be for content or maybe unique uh, merchandise that I come out with. Right. But you won't be able to get it without that NFT. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk is a big media guy, and he had his VCon last year in Minnesota. Like thousands of people went to this conference about marketing and the future of, of businesses and entrepreneurship. The ticket was an NFT. So I think that mm. instead of us having paper tickets in the future, you're going to see your tickets become these NFTs, which are just basically um, pictures that are built on the web that are digital, and they can be transferred. And we won't get into blockchain technology and what all that is. But the, the beauty behind that is these tickets, everything is, is recorded, it's transparent, it's traceable. So like tickets being NFTs, there's a lot less fraudulent tickets that could go on. Because, because it's the history, all, you can yeah, see the history. You can see the history, you can see where it came from, you can see that it's authentic. Like every NFT basically has a certificate of authenticity. So oh, you know dope. that this is a legit one. Now, there are fake things out there that look like it that you can be scammed still, but you're not going to have to worry. If you know how to navigate, you're not going to have to worry if you're getting a fake ticket or not. You're going to be able to see it real quickly and see, okay, this is real. Right. Um, but from a brand building standpoint, and I think about like ball players, 
and professional athletes, you have people who are fans of yours. You could create this ecosphere through NFTs that would allow you to have some really cool fan player engagement, allow them to support their favorite player, but also put money in your pocket. So yeah. an example could be you could create a Justin Ochoa card and there could be three levels. Level one is like a $5 card. It gets you the, the, the JPEG and there's, let's say there's 10,000 of those available, which would be like what we saw last summer. Right. Nothing major with that. So that's, what did I say, $10, $5? $5 for that. The next tier, let's say it's $100. And with that comes a Pace shirt and some other swag. And the card looks a little different. So when I show it to everybody on my, my public wallet, they can see I dropped 100 bucks on it. You start, yep. to, you start to play into people's desire to flex their, their wealth. Yeah. And then the top one, let's say there's only 10 of them, but they're five grand. That five grand gets you the same swag that was before, the merchandise before. It gets you a card to display that you can see that it was the $5,000 version of it. But now it gets you, you know, three months of training with you or something, like something else. Right. Or if you're a ball player, you tell you sell your highest one and you let that person who holds that come to a game and rebound for you pregame. You go through security ah, checks and dope. stuff. But now you have this engagement and you're building this relationship with your, your fans, right. which would be really cool. And also you're getting paid for that and you keep all of it. Yep. And as these cards change hands in the future, like regular cards do, in these, the way NFTs are created, they're using what are called smart contracts, which is basically contracts that are built into the coding of everything that execute every time. So if, if, you, if I bought your card for $5 and you become the next Chris Brickley, now I can sell the card for $100. So I sell my Justin Ochoa for $100. I paid $5 on it. Built into the code, every time that card gets sold in the future, you get a royalty. You and your family forever get a royalty. And if I keep going up yeah. in trajectory, yeah. then it's going to be worth more. Right. And so when it changes hands again, somebody's going to want to flip that card. Yeah, basically. exactly. Exactly. And now you, the person who created all the value, get to eat on that. And then also you can keep on doing these projects and build yeah. more out with, like I have a whole vision for what Pursuit's gonna have. There's gonna be an ecosystem that lives on like the crypto platforms that will kind of feed into it, that will be reward, less about me making money on that, more about creating community engagement and, and right. helping people. Um, but yeah, and as you think about, if you think about artists, this is where like I really got into this and saw the value of it. You think about like a Monet, like those paintings are millions of dollars when they exchange hands. Mm -hmm. His family's not getting paid any of that. Facts. Like he got paid a little bit when he was commissioned to do it hundreds of years ago, and that was all he was ever paid. And that thing has changed hands multiple times, and people have made millions upon millions of dollars trading up his his painting, his work, and he hasn't seen exactly anything. And the exactly. other thing about art is like it's super subjective mm -hmm. to the consumer. Mm -hmm. So a lot of art, like a lot of high dollar art, like I don't think it's cool. Right. Somebody does. Mm -hmm. And the same thing for NFTs. That's why people were like tripping like, oh, why would you buy a picture of this crypto punk or whatever? Mm -hmm. And it's again, you said it's it's not about the utility or it's it's a little bit about the utility, a little bit of a flex mm -hmm. to it. But it's also like somebody thinks that's cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just because you don't doesn't mean that it's not right. like I, I don't typically like paint splattered all over but like those mm -hmm. go for fifteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars and and but it all ties back dope. it all ties back to the creator right and that is that creator's personal brand so which right. is why like i'm encouraging even non-athletes who have the ability to leverage their expertise and build a personal brand to do so yeah. you should be thinking about how do you build your personal brand above and beyond so you get more 
hoist opportunities. You know what I mean? Shout out to hoist. Yeah, exactly. Shout out. Like we all have that ability. So why are we not thinking about that and incorporating that if we can? Now, if you're working a corporate job, W2, maybe you don't have the opportunity and that's perfectly fine. But all of the athletes out there need to not only be thinking about how can they make money on the court, how can they make money off of their brand as an athlete, which brings in the NIL stuff for the younger guys and girls. But my main, my main, I love the NIL. So I love that. Same. Um, and the opportunity there. More importance of financial literacy. Now you have kids getting good money mm-hmm. even earlier. Yeah. So understanding it and having good help there. But going back further, now you have to think more about your brand at an earlier age. Because what you put on social media as a 12 or 13 year old is going to be there that could jeopardize your NIL yep. job, uh, uh, deal when you're in college. Which I don't, yep. I mean, it's not fair to tell a 12 or 13 year old be mindful of what you do because we all did stupid shit when we were that young. But the reality of it is you say something or put something out there stupid when you're young, that gets dug back up when you're in college. You can kiss that NIL deal happens, gone. Happens every year. Right. Every single draft. Right. Somebody gets canceled yeah. because of something they tweeted over eight years ago. Right. So I'm so, we're so lucky. Yeah. Social media wasn't around. I was like, a nerd. Like I did, I didn't do anything bro, crazy. I, so. I mean, I got a little <laughs> bit of it. Like I have one of my craziest stories, not to cut you off that I, that I tell athletes all the time about this is my sophomore year of high school was the first year Facebook. You could have Facebook without a college, college. Mm-hmm. email. And you know, I partied in high school mm-hmm. and one weekend, I think it was a New Year's party. Um, you know, people were taking pictures, whatever. Now, mind you, there's no digital cameras or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's not on your phone. It was like you take a picture and go get it developed and mm-hmm. you scan it onto your Facebook. Yeah. But this girl made like an album of her New Year party. Mm-hmm. I was there. I was in pictures with things I shouldn't have been legally having mm-hmm. access to. And that next Monday, I get called to the principal's office. They're like, yeah, you're you're kicked out of every club oh. you're in. Um, I got suspended from the basketball team for mm-hmm. six games. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't, like, embarrassed because I don't think that at the time it mattered. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It was like – it wasn't like I did something – horrible mm-hmm. it was almost like some people thought it was cool which mm-hmm. which it's not i'm not saying to do that uh-huh. but it was like i was like damn that's a that's a thing now mm-hmm. like what i put on the internet and actually i didn't even put it on the internet right some other girl did but what is on the internet impacts me mm-hmm. and so i lost six games of that season mm-hmm. which turned into obviously it's not like i was like the number one star player on the team. Mm-hmm. So six games. Now somebody comes and fills my little role player spot. It's hard to get that back. Yep. So six games turned into like, damn, I didn't play the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And then I had a reputation, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a reputation of with my coaches. Like, is that what he's doing on mm-hmm. the weekends? Like, mm-hmm. is that why he's, he's a little bit slower today in practice? And mm-hmm. it took me a while to build that back up. It eventually was fine. We had a great relationship, but it was like, that aha moment where mm-hmm. kids don't get that today mm-hmm. unless they hear a story like this or or somebody is in their corner telling them, but what you put on the internet at any point in your life mm-hmm. is forever. And even if it gets deleted, you think it's deleted. If somebody wants to find it, you They'll can find, find it. I've got, a, I've got a similar story I'll share. I'm much older than you, but <laughs> so my senior year, New Year's Eve, yep. staying at a friend's house. We go around to parties out in the Geist area. We get back to the friend's house. It's like two in the morning. 
people started winding down. His mom is asleep upstairs, so we weren't doing any partying. And some people there had been drinking earlier the night, and there were some basketball guys there. 2, 2.30 in the morning, cops come downstairs, guns drawn. Damn. Put us up against the wall, pat us down. Bullshit story that somebody had been robbed earlier in the night. Like they just came to mess with us. Yeah. Um, because the reason I know it's bullshit was one, they told my parents it was a male and a woman, a man and a female, or a man and a woman that got robbed. They told the mom at the house it was a single lady. So like their stories They're weren't even straight. Like so they came to down. Find something. Yeah, they came down. They saw that there were beer cans there. They breathalyzed everybody. Had us call of our parents. Um, and I remember same thing. It's, it's county is getting ready to happen for me. And I think first game of county, my senior year, we played, I think we played Tech. So Lawrence North would have been the second game, which was our rival. I, I bawled my eyes out. I thought, I'm missing half the season. I didn't have a, a like, I didn't know where I was going to co- go to college and play ball. Was like, my college career is over. And I wasn't even drinking. Yeah. I was there getting You're ready to go to bed. Mom is upstairs. Right, right, exactly. Um, so I will, I will share this. The thing that I did in that situation that I would – advise anybody if you, you get in trouble like be honest yeah so you gotta own it i called my coach well i called all the guys that were there on the team and said hey i'm calling coach in the morning and we're gonna tell them what happened and um the messed up thing in the story they let one of the kids that blew that registered on the breathalyzer drive home to, to show you they were just there to mess with us so we call <laughs> yeah, coach and i good. say hey, coach like we some of us are at a party the night we weren't drinking people there were drinking the cops came, you know, I want to tell you about it ahead of time and so you hear from us. So New Year's Day, we all drive to the school. We go meet with coach. We tell him what went down. He tells the athletic director. Um, and our saving grace was there was no police report filed because mm. they just came to fuck with were, us. Yeah. And so since it didn't happen beyond us telling coach, none of us got in any trouble. Um, so own it. And be transparent, be forthright, because mm-hmm. the, like your parents tell you this, but I can tell you from experience, the consequences are less, even if there are consequences, if you're upfront and, and tell the truth, because the truth is going to come out, right. especially now with photos. Like we had no social media back then. Like Man. we didn't even have cell phones back then. I was dumbfounded. I was like, what? Like, yeah. I got kicked out of clubs I wasn't even in. They right. were just trying to lay it on me. You know yeah. what I mean? But, you now, but now you've got to think about that as an up and coming athlete about yeah. what, like, the environment that I'm in, the people that I roll with, can that jeopardize me getting paid in the future? Oh, yeah. And how do you handle that? And honestly, to that point, as a coach, I had a situation where I was working with a, a high-level athlete that was established and, you know, probably felt a little invincible at times. But on their social media, sometimes they would post things that I don't think are appropriate for my younger athletes to Mm -hmm, see mm -hmm. fifth, sixth, seventh grade, whatever. So I had to have a conversation. Like, you know how I I do stories and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. If I tag you now, you're in my, you're in my circle. So Mm -hmm. I post a video of you doing a squat. I tag you, but guess what? You're not the only person I train. I Mm -hmm. train a fifth grader who Mm -hmm. might come in tomorrow. So they tag, they see me tag you. They click your profile they think you're so cool. Mm-hmm. They go to your story. Now you're on there smoking, drinking, partying. Mm-hmm. That so I have to either you have to make it private, or mm-hmm. the smart thing would just be to stop posting it. Right. But now you've affected my business, mm-hmm. so I have to make a decision. Like mm-hmm. either you we have a conversation, you can stop that, or 
we're going to part ways. Like mm-hmm. this is not going to be a, a good coach athlete relationship mm-hmm. because it's exposing um, my other athletes to things that I don't think are appropriate for them to see yet. Right. So it's just little things like that. I, I don't think, I don't know if it's on people's radar. Mm-hmm. Athletes, like you said, NIL is huge. Mm-hmm. You, you're getting stuff at a younger age now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like high school athletes are getting millions of dollars yeah. now. An extreme example is is Bronny James, mm-hmm. right? He just got the Beats deal, mm-hmm. which was a dope commercial, mm-hmm. like one of the sickest commercials ever. But and he's a, a little bit of an outlier, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. There are more and more young athletes that mm-hmm. are getting these deals, and I think just being young is you, you're going to make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Like you can't be perfect. Like you almost should make some mistakes mm-hmm. so you could learn no, from a, that. I mean, we can tell that, like I can tell everybody all these financial things to avoid and maybe some of it will register, but you, you have to learn some things in life. Right. And I, I just had another thought, um, thinking of NIL jobs or opportunities, I would encourage people to try to do the deals that align with them and their values the mm-hmm. most. Yeah, because yes, it's a paycheck. Yes, it's money. And maybe I'm coming from a privileged spot where like in college, I didn't have to worry about money. So if, you, if your family is relying on your NIL jo- jobs to, to pay bills and to eat, then maybe it's a little bit harder. But right. the last thing you want to do is take money from a company that you find out you don't agree with their values. Yeah. No, that's um, huge. You know, we look at everything that's going on right now with, with Kanye and brands dropping him because of what he's saying. It's the same thing. Like he's impacting their business, but a brand could impact you as well. You do right. an NIL job, NIL deal with some company that comes out to be some type of racist organization or something that you didn't know about. Like you can kiss away other future deals because if you're associated with yep. them, then that must be what you're about as well. 100%. So I know it's easy to say from my position as a 40 year old dude who's been working for 20 years to like pass up money, but chances are if there's one deal, more are coming. And if you can, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with taking one if you need one just to get that first check. But don't get in the habit of just taking checks just to take checks because it's going to water down your brand. The best brand deals, the most mon- you know, most valuable ones are the ones that values align. I it agree. makes sense that you're drinking hoist for all the reasons you share. I believe that because I know you as a trainer, I know what you're about. And chances are you were drinking hoist before a deal even happened. Yep. So that's natural. But if I saw you drinking a Gatorade or taking money from Gatorade, I'd be like, Eh, yeah. Justin, Justin sold out on that one because yeah. I heard him bashing Gatorade and all the sugars. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I, so I, I think that like those are all things no one's teaching you about. And I think life experience, personally, and watching other people, like that's something that I can put on the radar for people is to think about that. Like, yeah, it's a check, but does it align with my values? And does taking this one check jeopardize ones in the future? And am I willing to take that risk? Right. It can come off as inauthentic too, right. and it's like kind of. A little bit of the what do they call it like a little boy who cried wolf mm-hmm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. every, if if you promote every single company that asks you to mm-hmm. then when you actually promote the one that you really want to pop it's watered down it's watered down and people aren't going to pay attention mm-hmm. to it so mm-hmm. now that's a great a great takeaway for athletes of all levels mm-hmm. because there's and i also think that there's different kinds of nil deals there's different kinds of ambassador roles mm-hmm. things like that i think at this point it's very easy for anybody regardless of their status talent or potential to get a ambassador code mm-hmm. and 
And I don't think that's the most effective way for a lot of athletes mm -hmm. to maximize their their reach with the NIL. Mm -hmm. I really like the stuff that's like what we call it with hoist is like baked in. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. that was going to be on the table regardless because mm -hmm. I'm thirsty. Mm -hmm. And normally I bring you one, but I drank them all. <laughs> but it's like it's part of my life. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they pay me, whether or not they support the podcast, which they do. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's going to be on that table because I like right. the product. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of times we're not seeing that. We're just seeing random mm -hmm. like wristbands or T-shirts. And it's just like I have a big following. So if I use this promo code, they give me a uh, 5% kickback and, mm -hmm. and we can do it like that. But you're not making no money like that. Mm -hmm. Like that's not a good way to make money. Mm -hmm. And it's not a good way to introduce yourself mm -hmm. as a – creator that mm -hmm. works with brands mm -hmm. in my opinion mm -hmm. i just be thoughtful everything that you do like there's going to be that initial excitement and you're going to see the possibilities like just sit with that for a moment and enjoy right. the moment and the opportunity and then just be thoughtful about okay like bigger picture if i step back what is this choice whether it's right. nil working with an advisor you know taking a contract deal with the team whatever it might be what is this choice mean for me for the long term how does it impact me what opportunities could it take away how does it help move me in the direction that i actually want to go and if it doesn't move you in the direction you want to go then there better be like a really good reason to to right to take it on um, yeah. and again easier said than done, but i passed up a number of opportunities um over the years in the finance which are nowhere near as exciting as <laughs> the sports yeah. because it didn't align with what i right. with me and, and and the way i am i can't do things that aren't authentically me like I, I can't fake stuff so I cannot fake it. um no no judgment if people can but that's just how i am like i have a, i take a lot of pride that in my world if i say hey i'm using this technology in my practice like that carries weight carries, i got a, i got a dm yesterday that i had a comment about a platform that i use um that was in this big review that everybody reads and i had like two or three people e email me and say hey i saw that you're in there i'm definitely using that that's dope I don't get paid, right? But that's my 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 word carries weight, and I I want to protect that so yeah. that now that they people know that I recommend things and people act on it, even if I don't get paid, then if there's something that I can get paid for, my impact is going to be huge, which then, means my yeah. dollar commands more. Yeah. Um, so just begin thinking that way. Doesn't yep. mean you can't make mistakes and then yep. take one you don't you regret, but but be thoughtful about it. The other thing you said about association, brand association, like I cut ties with. Well, I didn't have ties to cut, but I stopped buying and using equipment from two major brands that during um, the height of like the George Floyd situation and, mm -hmm. and the Black Lives Matter movement, they were significantly against that movement. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that does not fit with where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So if you're not going to support that, I'm not going to support you by mm -hmm. buying your weights, your equipment. Um, I'm going to sell it if I can or trade for a different brand. Mm -hmm. Same thing with another brand. It's like their, their coaching style doesn't align with mine. And I know that because of the hires that they've made mm -hmm. and those people that they've hired, their track record and their, where they stand on those issues and some of the things that they've done publicly. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I just don't feel the need to use those pieces of equipment when there's mm -hmm. other alternatives that, have a better stance and a better um, alignment with where I'm at in my life. So, and that's a generational thing. That kind of goes back to all the, like the new age of money and crypto. Like a lot of people were bad mouthing NFTs, 
but they also don't understand that this younger generation is growing up in a digital world. Right. Like they don't care about having a Rolex. They'd rather have their profile picture be a board ape because everybody else knows how much that board ape is. You right. as an old guy may not, right. but everybody else in their age does. And it's, it's, a, it's a shift in just per, you know preferences and way of living that that's finding its way into these social matters as well. So, um, and I think it's really cool that we have the ability, even as a nobody like myself, I have the ability to take a stance and, and use my voice on my small mm -hmm. little platform. Like prime example is earlier this week, a friend of mine who's a woman in the profession and she's amazing building an awesome business. And one of our, uh, one of our publications in the profession wrote some really demeaning headline and backhanded compliment of uh, an article about her. And other people chimed in. I sat with her for a couple of days and I wrote this long thread today um, that isn't going to change the way they do business, but it's my, I have a leadership role in financial services in a very small segment. It's my way to use a voice to say, look, that's not right. And that's why this is impacting our profession. And Penny didn't deserve that right. because she's a rock star. Like right. she handles this stuff well, but this is the second time the, the financial media has dumped on her undeservedly and it's, it's a problem. And I have the ability to put that out there, um, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's dope. And you better believe I'm never going to be quoted in their new, in their publication. <laughs> and there's another one, same thing. They they kind of took advantage of a, a friend of mine and didn't treat him too well. So I'm like, they're dead. Like I'm I'm not petty about very many things, but those types of things I'll never support yeah. that publication. No, that's how I am. I'm I'm pretty professional. I keep it I keep it cordial, professional. But there's certain times where I'm just gonna. I'm going to go into the depths of mm -hmm. pettiness and just, <laughs> I'm going to just ride that wave and make sure you know where I stand on certain things. So um, I want to transition from financial mm -hmm. to sports yeah. because not only are you a badass financial advisor, but like you said, you're a badass husband, mm -hmm. dad of three. Mm -hmm. Um Two of the kids I know play sports. Mm -hmm. I can't remember how old Silas is. Silas is five. And if you ask five. Silas if he likes sports, he hates sports. <laughs> he hates them. I think it's growing up at soccer fields and basketball courts and not being yeah. able to play. So yep. for whatever reason, it didn't rub him that he wanted to do it. He hates it. So yeah, he's <laughs> he could a, still come around. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Or I mean, he could get involved in like I know you're involved in a lot of other stuff like uh, music and. Mm -hmm. Culture, he's, sneakers, stuff like that. He yeah. art, he could. He's love really creative. He's really yeah. good at art. He's really creative. So I want to, I want to fuel his creative yep. side because um, I have found becoming a creator has opened up a lot of doors for me. Yep. And I lost it for a lot of years. I don't want him to lose his creativity. That's dope. So going back to your boys, I know they play sports, hoops, um, and I know that as a dad, like I've gotten a little taste of it so far because mine are just in the intro stages. Mm -hmm. But it's frustrating sometimes, mm -hmm. and that's my profession. Like that's. That's what I do. That's where I spend all my time. Mm -hmm. But when I take the coach hat off and I'm just dad, I'm like, damn, this is kind of getting bad. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you see right now that don't make you happy as a parent with sports kids? I think it's become very little about the kids and all yeah. about business. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up again, I grew up in the best time of basketball in Indiana. <laughs> I played basketball all the time. I was never not in a gym, but it was all on my own. It was pickup ball. It was one-on-one. -on -one, it was 21. I used to play in carports. We had a milk crate on the telephone pole in the backyard of the townhomes we lived in. Like We played all the time, but it was just us as kids playing. Right. And there's some pretty damn good basketball players that came out of my era that weren't training year-round 
I mean, I want people to work with you, but we didn't have people like you to work with. Right. Like I didn't, I never lifted a weight until the YMCA had a program. When you turn 12 or 13, you could go through a certification and you could go do weights with your parents. So 13 was the earliest I ever thought about touching a weight. I actually love that idea. Yeah. So I just think that it's, it's, it's not about the kids. If it's about the kids, it's more about fun. And as much as they love sports, going to practice four days a week, year round, that's not fun. It's not fun. Um, and all of the tournaments and the travel and like there are families putting themselves in major financial stress for sports. And as a parent, you want to give your kid every opportunity you didn't have and you want to give them every opportunity to succeed. Right. And these businesses are preying on that. They know that parents are going to spend $200 this weekend for a exposure camp that no coaches are coming to. <laughs> Exposing you the, to some BS. The, uh, the only exposure is the highlight reel they cut up and put on Instagram. Right. Like nobody's getting any college offers from those things, but we think we are. We've got to do it because everybody else is doing it. And I, the biggest, my biggest beef is it's not about the kids. It's all about making money. And that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that really bothers me, and maybe this was the way I was growing up, but parents are horrible. Like parents on the sidelines are absolutely insane. Like go there and just enjoy the moment of watching your kid. Yes, it's, it can be frustrating to watch your kids play, but the yelling at other kids, the yelling at coaches, the yelling at refs, like we were talking about one of the local places, like you walk in there and the vibe there is just so negative. Sucks your energy. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's all coming from the parents in the crowd that drive. And on top of that, for those crazy parents that are yelling all the time, that only drives up the anxiety of the kids on the court. So you're making your child a worse ball player at the time right. because now they're getting nervous because the crowd's getting anxious. And like Leo hates going to the field house. Like, I hate the fact that he told me last weekend he didn't want to go to the Romans game because he gets anxiety going to the field house. Right. I've never Shouldn't experienced like real anxiety in my life. And part of it is I think that's a buzzword that people talk about. It, it is very real. But I do know he gets nervous. Yeah. Like if I say anything to a ref, like I, I know how to work a ref from the crowd or if I'm coaching without being disrespectful yeah. just to put it in their ear. So if I just say, oh, you missed that carry, like that makes Leo nervous. So that's just me like under my breath saying you missed that carry. Think about the parents that are screaming. Cussing, at their, yeah. Yelling. So like it's just go back to why are we in this gym? We're in this gym for our kids to go out right. and play and learn the game and have fun. Um, and then the final thing that really bothers me is just all of everything's a highlight now. Like the boys love watching TikTok and Instagram. And I fought that for a long time, but I just accepted that <laughs> they're going to be on it. So let me make sure they're on it in good ways. Yeah. But like everything's a highlight, but you got kids doing under the leg layups as sixth graders in a game. <laughs> like that was my go-to move in horse. I'd go behind the back through the right. leg in horse. Which but, is like so wild. To right. think, and then like, when they make the layup, good for them, they made it. The coaches are on the sidelines losing their shit, encouraging it. Yeah. And then they're putting this on social media. And then you have groups that are doing all these videos and that's all they put on. Right. And it's just like, this is not showing our kids what, what any sport is. And it's all of them. It's the hits in, in, in football. Baseball is not as bad because there's not as much excitement in it. Baseball is boring. Yeah. But, but <laughs> like that's not teaching our kids the right way to play. And then you have coaches on the sideline that are encouraging that. And then on, in addition to that, I'll take Roman's example. He, he went to, like, I did let him do one of the exposure camps. But you know as a, as a, sixth, a sixth grader, it's not real exposure. Right. But my friend, Zach Sigmund, who's a trainer um, over at Lagore Boys and Girls Club, I went to high school with him, and I know he's a real good trainer. He was running it, so I'm like, all right, if Zach's running it, 
Romo, I'll take you to go do it. You can be around some good athletes and see how you, how you do. And he did well. But the very first highlight that the company doing the videos did was a picture of Roman getting his foot stepped on and shoved down. Oh. So it looks like he got crossed up. Yeah. And I told Roman, like, he was really bothered by it. And Roman is 12. So he's a 12-year-old trying to process that he sees himself on the internet knowing he got stepped on and pushed down. Good move right. by the ball player. Like, I'm not hating that. Yeah. But that's the first clip of this whole weekend is him being looked like he got crossed over. So I try to take it as a learning experience. Say, hey, man, like you're going to have highlights, which means somebody's going to be on the other end of you Low crossing lights, them yeah. up. So if you want that highlight of you, you have to accept that you're going to be somebody else's highlight. Yep. And you also have to accept that who cares what people think because there were only 50 kids there. Where was everybody else that weekend? They were playing video games, doing nothing. You were in there getting better. That dude just happened to step on your foot and you fell. It right. looks bad. But the fact that that's what this company put out there just bothered me because how's a 12 year old supposed to process yeah, that? That's tough. Like that's adults tough. don't even like that. Right. Unless you're getting paid good, good money. And even, even then, then it's don't. like, I don't even know. Even they don't. Like, yeah. So it's, I, I just think that this whole, like social media is great in so many ways. Yeah. You and I would have never got connected without it. Facts. But it's also a problem as well. Yeah. That's and, real. Like that's real trauma. Yeah. All the things that you, that you mentioned, like, that's real trauma. The the kid whose parent is going nuts in the crowd, mm -hmm. that's traumatizing to yeah. a kid. The mm -hmm. kid who gets a highlight, who's on the other end of a highlight, mm -hmm. that's micro trauma to a kid. Mm -hmm. And by the way, like I had a poll. This, it wasn't about Roman, mm -hmm. but I had a poll about um, I can't remember who it was in the NBA last year. They got same thing. They got crossed. It looked mm -hmm. like they got crossed, but on the replay, you can clearly see. Mm -hmm. Foot was stepped on, mm -hmm. which obviously, like, you're going to fall. Mm -hmm. If you try to move any direction with somebody's body weight on your foot, you're yeah. going to fall. So I had a, a, a pull, like, does this count? Mm -hmm. Like, does this count as being able to say, like, I made that dude, I dropped him. Mm -hmm. And it was like 93%. No, it doesn't count. Some people said, yeah, but I just think people just troll. But I think most, but, but truthfully. It doesn't count. Tell Roman it doesn't count. I, people may have answered that, but I think when they see it, and that they weren't asked that, they would They're count it. They're not thinking it. Yeah. yeah, I think they would count it. They happened They're not James, even thinking it. James Harden got the rookie on the Pacers. Yeah. Stepped on his foot. Yep. Um, and I was so, like, I loved the other night when he crossed over and shimmied and shot the brick. Like, I love that. <laughs> I um, know. But, but that's the thing. It wasn't it, even a brick. He hit the side yeah, of the side backboard. Yeah. <laughs> but I was looking at the comments, and, like, some people pointed out that his foot got stepped on, but it's like, Sports Center is putting that up. Yeah, dude. that wasn't a good cross. Like that's it was crazy. He made the three, but let's not talk about how he crossed this guy and put him on skates. He stepped on his foot and pushed him down. Right. Yeah. But that's what we're that's what we're teaching our kids. Like, unfortunately, that teaches our kids. Our kids pay more attention to that than what you and I are going to tell them. For sure. Um, and I know this sounds like me. I'm the old guy. Get off my lawn, type yeah. of thing. But I think it's true. Like. I don't know if you, you take away the, the improvements in athletics and strength and like that type of stuff. I don't know if the ball players coming out today with all of this extra stuff are better than the guys who came out when I was in high school. Right. Like I'm like talking skill. I, I am going to, I am going to name drop. I'm talking Jason Gardner, Jared Jeffries, Andre Owens, um, Chris Thomas, like they would all be able to dominate today's game, but we grow up, grew up playing fun. We went out to 
Um, the courts up in Noblesville, they tore down. Psalm Park was always lit. Those like we, courts are sick. We played for fun. We played all the time, but it was for fun. We didn't need to be an organization all the time, nonstop. Right. And I think from a basketball IQ, basketball skill, and playing and winning, they would dominate today just like they did back right. then. It's a lot more – back then, like, it's a lot more of a game. Like, right. there, you can – now, like you said, the athleticism, the power, the speed, like, all that stuff is – evolved so much that mm -hmm. it's so hard to it's like compare. the lebron it's like the you lebron I mean? mj yeah. debate like it's like it's impossible but like also shout out to jared jeffries he was my aau coach for okay. for a summer him and kyle hankins um but oh, kyle, kyle is booming south yeah, yeah kyle can shoot dude kyle's my guy that mm -hmm. was my aau coach but anyway I, I think like what you're saying is spot on like it's not about the kids it's about the dollar mm -hmm. and a lot of times like and it's weird for me to say that, but I think that I give value to the kids yeah. and to the parents mm -hmm. and to their teams. But, and it goes beyond sports as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. But like some of these camps, some of these exposure events, some of the tournaments, some of the AAU programs, some of this is just, it's just bad. And it's like, not just it's basketball. Not, like yeah. Leo plays soccer. Roman decided to give up uh, soccer because he wants to focus on basketball, which I was... Perfectly okay. Uh, truthfully, I wish he kept on playing soccer because I fall in love with the sport and the carryover from soccer to basketball is perfect. Yeah. But like soccer is, you know, before you play in tournaments and travel, it's like three grand a year. It's nuts, bro. Like how many kids are missing? Like how many future amazing soccer players are we missing because their family can't afford $3,000 right. a year for soccer, which is just a ball in nets. Should be like one of the cheapest sports to play. That goes into the other problem is just like adults taking advantage of kids mm -hmm. or you know i don't i don't want to accuse anybody but it's like pay your some programs i know for a fact programs or schools not at the college or pro level are paying kids to, to play for them mm -hmm. and then it's like okay you got that kid to play for you but what about the other kids mm -hmm. they're paying so now what kind of precedent are you setting that that kid's so special. I'm a, I'm a pay for him, but mm -hmm. everybody else has to pay. Like, how is that mm -hmm. equal? How is that a team? How mm -hmm. does that make the culture of that team successful? Other than the fact that you got a really good player out of it. So maybe he can get you out of some holes with his raw talent, mm -hmm. but that doesn't prepare anybody on that roster for actual sports at the next level, mm -hmm. because at the next level, the higher level you go up, the, the gap gets smaller and smaller. So mm -hmm. the margin for error is smaller and smaller. And, it, and it's like, Everybody's good. Mm -hmm. Some of the the NBA is not the best basketball players in the world. Mm -hmm. Like it's not. Mm -hmm. People don't know that. I don't think that's common knowledge. Right. Just because you're in the NBA doesn't make you one of the best basketball players in the world. Mm -hmm. it, it means you maybe fit a role, fit a budget, or had a connection. Mm -hmm. Now they're all great, obviously. Right. But I know guys, and I personally train guys overseas that are better than NBA starters. Yeah. yeah. Hands down, no type of uh, favoritism at all. It's mm -hmm. just like you just watch basketball for any amount of time. You can mm -hmm. tell. Mm -hmm. So it's – I don't even know the point I was trying to make there. Mm -hmm. but like, it, it was a good rant. It you know good, what I'm saying? It's true, though. Yeah, no, definitely You got to go on rants every now and then. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you, and I'm kind of scared. Like the basketball world, my kids are starting to get into it, and I'm already seeing like, damn, I got a seven-year-old. Mm -hmm. So Julian is about to do this – this thing called Smaller Ballers. Mm -hmm. And it's a dope program. It's up at the Pacers Athletic Center. It's introduction to basketball. Mm -hmm. It for four to six year olds though. 
and I contacted them and I was like, Hey, he's seven, but he, had, he does, he's only played one round of basketball before. And it was mm -hmm. at the Y and we missed like four weeks of it. Cause mm -hmm. my life is so crazy. Mm -hmm. And so he's not going to be advanced or really bigger than anybody. So long story short, I'm doing some speed and agility work up at the pack. And there's a second grade team that is like crazy good. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there like, damn, some of these kids are my son's age. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to your your point of now eventually they're going to play against each other mm -hmm. and like Julian's going to get rocked mm -hmm. and that's okay. You mm -hmm. need that. You need to lose a lot. You need to just get dominated sometimes. So you develop that, that competitor, that dog in you. Mm -hmm. But off the bat, I don't know if that's good to introduce a kid as their first exposure to mm -hmm. sports is mm -hmm. like, Hey, go get your ass kicked for the next eight weeks. Like yep. then you're going to resent the sport. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to look like the crazy parent because I'm trying to like force you to play and not resent the sport. And like, that's just a slippery slope. So mm -hmm. yeah, we're going to, I'm going to actually play him down mm -hmm. not to dominate, but so he can actually learn yeah. without the risk of hating the sport because yeah. everybody else is so advanced. It's like the kids that play up like at, the field house you've got like Roman's league he was playing against fifth grade teams and they're smashing them I'm like how's that good okay the fifth grade league okay maybe they're they're winning it and, and beating them easily but coming up and getting beat up by sixth graders that's not doing anything for them or like it drove me crazy that when Leo was first starting to play like first and second grade they had the, the hoops at 10 foot put the hoops at yeah, eight feet or that, nine foot like put the hoops down what, what is the point like that's not making them get stronger or be better yeah. it's making them develop bad habits terrible habits but it's like oh up. we're good enough we play on 10 foot goals that's stupid that's yeah. the coach's ego yep. being placed on the kids that's why leo shot like this for so long because yep. he was heaving it up on a 10 foot goal yep. like that's all, like again that's about the coach that's not about the kids it's not it, it, it's not about the kids anymore which that's what's frustrating i actually just told julian that because i don't know what the smaller baller height is going to be but mm -hmm. i think it's going to be at like eight mm -hmm. which is great but i said hey if, if it's at 10 and we've been working a little bit in the front yard on proper form. Mm -hmm. And he can hit shots with good form, no thumb flick, flicking his wrist, like mm -hmm. guide hand, all that. He he can hit it up to like eight, eight and a half feet. Mm -hmm. um, but I told him, like, if it's at 10, don't change your shot. Right. I said, miss every shot, mm -hmm. but make it look good. Right. Because I don't want you building a terrible jump shot. Now, mm -hmm. I don't care what kind of player you become or mm -hmm. how far you take this. I just want you to love the sport that I love. That mm -hmm. way we can – bond over it you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying and like spend time on it but i was like bro airball every shot if you have to mm -hmm. don't change what we've been working on mm -hmm. don't fling it up there don't fire it from the hip like shoot your shot normal you'll get better you'll get stronger it'll happen for you but he was like for real i'm like it sounds crazy mm -hmm. but if they raise it and you can't get it just shoot your shot mm -hmm. so um yeah man, that's crazy. how how you do as he gets older because I, I did better with them playing soccer because I didn't know the game. Yeah. I didn't play it. So I could sit there and actually just be a fan. You could learn and watch it too, boys. Yeah. Um, and thankfully they were both good. So it's fun to watch your kids when they're good and they didn't like struggle. Like they lose and that's fine, but it's not like they were bad. Right. Um, but in basketball, I have a harder time watching Roman because he has a lot of qualities about him that aren't like me. Like he is a little bit more selfish. He's more showy. Which mm -hmm. when I played, I was like 
I, I like to express myself when I was playing, but I followed more of the rules. And we weren't allowed to do it back then. Like, I joke and say that my game was ahead of its time. Like, I was pulling up threes on a break. Yeah. Didn't do it very often, but I was like, my game was built for today. I just was uh, yeah. 20 years too early. Yep. Uh, but he also, like, doesn't hold himself accountable. It's never his fault if he makes a turnover. Mm -hmm. He's very emotional on the court, and he lets it get the best of him. And, and that frustrates me more than him missing a shot right or it, it, like because that wasn't me and i don't want him to be that way because i know that those qualities will be a that'll work against him in the future he's good enough now that people look past it but then as you get older coaches aren't going to put up with that right um so for me it's been hard because i don't watch it with a critical eye of oh your form was off or you didn't score enough points my critical eye is, well, why didn't you like? Why didn't you tell your player, your teammate that was okay? They missed it, or why were you talking to the ref? Why were you complaining? Like, don't complain. Like, that's the critical eye I watch yeah. it because I know I was a good ball player. I've, it's all I ever played. I worked hard, but I know that the reason I got the opportunities I I got was because I did all the right things. I was good. Right. I wasn't amazingly great. I wasn't the greatest athlete, but I worked hard. I was first in the gym, last out, gym rat every single day. But I did all the right things so that when there was an opportunity, somebody gets hurt yeah. or I, I earned the right because of the way I the way I acted and I did the right things to get in that spot. And then when I got in the spot, I was good enough to stay there. Right. And what I don't want Roman to do is miss that opportunity because people think he's a punk and he's not a punk. Um, and I'm, I'm more critical of him because I'm his dad and I want right. him to be a certain way. But at the end of the day, that's the hard part for me as a dad watching the sport is it's it's not about the losing like. I like them to lose because I want them to learn how to handle it. It's not about missed shots. It's for me, how is he acting and is he becoming a leader? Because right. I, I don't give a shit about him being a leader on the court. I want him to be a leader in life. Facts. I learned to be a leader because of my time on the court and that transferred over to everywhere else in my life. And it's been a huge advantage for me. And like, that's what I want him to get out of it. And yep. I know he's missing it right now, but he's also only 12. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. <laughs> so I'm, curious, I'm curious to see how you handle the, like, since you played and you know, the game and you work with some of the best players in the world, how you separate that from your kid, man, pray for me. I don't know how I'm, I'm going to, I'll get there eventually, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I want to talk real quick about pursuit. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the hot seat after yeah. that, but I, we got, we got into a really good conversation about money and I was mm -hmm. learning mm -hmm. stuff about money. So like selfishly, I wasn't about to just change topics. Um, pursuit, that's your newest pursuit. Yeah. Like that's your newest project. Tell yeah. me, tell us what that's about and who it's for. Yeah. So pursuit is an evolution of me as an advisor and learning and then separating out what I think is most important from the finances. So after 18 years of working with people, I realized that a lot of people don't understand, don't know who they are and what mm -hmm. they really want out of life. A lot of people are just a cog in the wheel. They're going down this path they've set them on. And it doesn't mean it's a bad life. And for some people, that's the right life. But for a lot of people, it's not right. Right. And for whatever reason, I've always been comfortable betting on myself, taking risks, taking chances, exploring. And having the ability to do that has created a life I wouldn't trade. I own my own businesses. My wife owns her own business. We have a great life. I'm, I'm able to make my own hours. Financially, we do real well. Like, and, I, and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. That's what I want everybody to have. I want people to have a life that is maximizing their happiness, minimizing their regret, and bringing them all the financial resources they need and figuring out what that is. And it's pursuit started as just a show. I have a, a blog called All About Your Benjamins that I don't write as much on it, but that was all finance. Like That's how I grew my business. 
And I started doing a Friday episode called The Pursuit on All About Your Vengeance, where I just started talking about this concept of like following your passions and then let that yeah. be your guide. And I really enjoyed it. And the more I started reading and thinking about those lines, I decided I was going to separate it out. So pursuit is actually PRST. Um, I stripped the vowels out. I don't know why I like to do that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, it's an acronym that it originally stood for passions, relationship, self, and time. Like those were the four things like that, that were really in, important. As you're thinking about creating your life, find your passions, surround yourself with great people, take care of yourself, and maximize the time you have on this earth. And that's what pursuit meant. So right now it's you know seven months old. It really just consists of content. I have a weekly newsletter. I have a, a podcast channel. I call it a channel. So the pursuit is on all the major ones, but you have on our pursuit, which is where I interview guests. Um, so yesterday I interviewed the co-founder of a clothing brand called Municipal. Um, you might know Municipal because Mark Wahlberg Robert, is the other co-founder of it. Marky Mark. It wasn't Mark that I talked to. It was Harry Arnett if you watch his show. But just I interviewed cool, him. though. Yeah, I interviewed him. Um, I interviewed Austin Keen, who's a, a world champion skimboarder. So it's designed to tell the stories of people who have followed their passions. You'll be on it one day and how oh. they created their life and bet on themselves. Because I want people to see that. Um, I do a Friday show called The Pursuit, where it's just kind of me for 20 minutes talking about stuff. Isn't um, that hard? It is. It is. So hard. Yeah, your first one at 50 minutes, I was like, damn, I don't know. I couldn't do that. I don't know like, what I, I was doing. I love to, to talk, as you can all tell. Like, I'm not short of words, but I don't know about 50 <laughs> minutes by myself. But the Friday ones are just more kind of like thinking about thoughts I've had from the week about anything related to pursuit. And then um, I do Monday motivations, motivational Mondays, where it's just a thought to kick the week off. I was doing a daily one, but it became kind of watered down, and I wanted to shift more. Um, quality over uh, quantity. Yeah. Um, and then, so like my vision for it is like, I, I say this because I want to make sure I put it out there. So A, it happens, but B, I'm held accountable. Yep. On Our Pursuit is going to be the only podcast that I know of that is going to one day have the biggest names, Kendrick Lamar is my dream guest, uh, on. And then sick. in the next episode, I mean this in no disrespect, but have Justin Ochoa on. Today's Justin Ochoa. Yeah. Um, because what I realize is that like the Kendrick Lamar conversation will be really fun. And for me, I want to talk to these people because I think we have great conversations. But Kendrick Lamar is not going to make very many people go out and bet on themselves and follow that dream they had because that's a different stratosphere. You can't touch him. Right. Yeah. But right now, you and I, and I put myself in the same category, I think we're relatable. Mm -hmm. You can look at what I've been able to do or what you're doing right now, and a lot of people would say, well, if, if the Justins can do it, I don't think that's third the person. Me. If the Justins can do <laughs> it, let's have another podcast yeah. called the Justins. <laughs> there you go. If the Justins can do it, then surely I can do it. I've always wanted to X, Y, and Z. Or I had yep. Box the artist, who's a local artist, on that. She left her job full time and went all in on being an artist, and that's her career now. She's a visual artist that pays all the bills. And telling that story of how they got there, uh, and ultimately, that's what I want Pursuit to be. I want Pursuit to be. It's a. I, I call it a collective. It's so my cohorts called the collective. That was designed to help people find what passion's missing in their life and how to incorporate it. Right. But the Pursuit Collective, when it's done, will be the clothing. This is a shirt that's coming out this fall. That's tough. Um, so I, I like making a little clothing brand, a lifestyle brand. It will be the content arm. It will be kind of courses and retreats. I want to do a retreat in the future that says, all right, you found your passion. You've been doing it as a side hustle thing. You see that it can become a business. How do you turn it into a business? Right. So the weekend is a little bit of inspiration and motivation, but it's also business planning. And at the end of the weekend, your business is set up. So Monday, you now have a business to go run. You are following your passion, make it more. 
Um, I, I want to have a production company. Like I like shooting little documentary videos, showing people living their passions. I want to have a record label. Basically, I want Pursuit to be an outlet for people who have an inner creator to let that creator out and express themselves, whether that is in a visual form of art or audio and, and music, um, or if it is, I'm a, I'm a creator because I create businesses. Like To right. me, when I originally heard creative, I thought artist, musician, photographer. But I view myself as a creative and as a creator. I have a very creative mind and no shortage of ideas, but I'm not going to go paint. So I want to encourage people to find their inner creator, find their passions, let the two meet, put it out there and see where it goes. And I give this example in other podcasts, but I have a friend of mine who's a financial advisor and he's a DJ. And he DJed through college, shout out to Darrow. And he sent me a mix for my birthday. An hour-long mix. He wanted some of my songs. That's tough. And it was like, it was, it was good. It's like a great present. It was awesome. And even like he worked in some good things. Like we, we have different tastes in who's the best artists and best bands. And he said, he put out one day, he thought Migos was the best rap band. I said, get the hell out of here. Um, they're not even together anymore. It happened. So like about three-fourths of the way in my mix, he throws a Migos song in. Like that's the okay. thought he put behind this Love mix, that. which I thought was so cool. Love that. So that inspired me to go buy a DJ board because if I could do anything in the world not doing what I do today, I would love to be a producer. I thought I would grow out of hip-hop. I've always loved hip-hop. I thought I would grow out of it. I'm a 40-year-old white guy. <laughs> I'm never not listening to rap. Yeah. And I would love, like, I love beats. I love listening to the production of a song and the beats. I can't make one, but I would love to. So anyways, I bought a DJ board. I thought, well, Roman likes to make these edits. He's got a TikTok account of all John Rant highlights that he creates, and they're really good. But he picks the music. So I was like, well, me, him, and I can learn to do this together. So I put it on Twitter and shared it because I share a lot on, on social media. And the CEO of a company that was putting on a big conference in Vegas hit me up and was like, hey, you want to DJ the opening night party? And I'm like, well, I don't even know how to use it yet, but my what? buddy Odero does. Yeah. Like, maybe he can come do it. So they paid Odero to come out, be the DJ in Vegas, and that has turned into him DJing. He DJed the conference in um, September in California. He DJed before Big Boy performed at this conference. That's so dope. now he got paid to go out to DJ before Big Boy, and now he's basically becoming the go-to DJ for financial services conferences. Now, I don't know if conferences would ever pay him enough, but in theory, he DJed in college. He still DJed on Saturdays for fun and some parties and things on the side. He shared his passion for music with me, which I put out there. And because he shared it, people found out about his craft. And I did a, a video of him as well. And now he's DJ Like, that could turn into a full-time job for him. Facts. All be and then now he's DJing for a career. Like, Dude, that's a, that's a crazy, like, niche market too yeah. like oh yeah dj for financial advisors yeah. like you know how careful you have to be with your musical selection yeah yeah, yeah. In that population and, and, the, and, the, and the thing is it's all because he like he followed his passion now, and maybe it never grows and one of the things i want to be careful with the pursuit is i i don't want to be like the person who says always follow your passion or that your passion should become your career because maybe it shouldn't and, and some people's passions maybe can't support their lifestyle right and that's okay but whatever you're passionate about your life should have some time and space for that because that time for that passion, whatever it may be, will allow you to offset the job you might not love. Mm -hmm. And now if you can find a job that you love and your passion, like that's great. But a lot of that's people good. are in a job because it's a paycheck and their security and they don't enjoy it. And maybe they can't get out of that job. 
But if they know that when that job gets done, when they go home, they get to go cook or work in the garden or whatever that passion is, then that'll, that brings happiness to life. And again, my ultimate goal is I want to maximize happiness. So maybe you can't get your happiness to 100, but because of following the pursuit and the inspiration that comes from it, you take your happiness from a 40 to a 60. Well, I helped you maximize your That's happiness. Big, yeah. So I want this pursuit to allow me to express myself creatively, do all the things in the creative world I want to, but then help people do like the record label I want to have one day. It's not to compete with Def Jam. My goal for the record label is one to get me in the music world and get to be a part <laughs> of it and, and experience it. But then if an artist signed to pursuit records or whatever you end up calling it, they get one album. And then their second albums on their own independent label that will help them set up. Like right. I want to be in a position financially that pursuit provides for my family, but I also can use it to help other people get put on. That's like dope. I have a goal of like, it's, it's weird to hire photographers, but I got some new headshots and stuff. And the guy was phenomenal. And I paid him like $200. He was, he was like blown away. They got paid. And I was like, one day, <laughs> one day I'm going to be somebody who could work with any photographer out there. I could afford to pay tens of thousands of dollars and those photographers would want to work with me. But I'm going to find people like Bobby and I'm going to work with them and I'm going to help put them on because they're good photographers. And now, because they shot me for six months and used it on all the stuff, social media stuff I do, people are going to follow them. And now he can charge a couple thousand dollars himself and people know him. And I want to be able to use whatever platform I can build not to f feed the people who are already doing good, but to help the people who are talented and just need a break and yep. help them. Like, that's what I want to do. That's dope, man. So I pursuit is my way to do it. That's dope. I mean, I, that's perfect because there's so many people out there that are, like you said, they're just stuck mm -hmm. in this cycle of they're not happy with what they do mm -hmm. for a living. Mm -hmm. And they do that thing for most of their life. Right. Like not only years wise, but day to day. When as you heard on episode number two with Derek, I'm sure we have way more control over our life than we way realize. More. Yeah. And I just want people to realize that and, and just start small to see how can you change your life. And I look at pursuit and where my unique place can be in this world of, of people who do this type of stuff is you've got Jay Shetty, who's a former monk, has a huge platform. His podcast, he interviewed Kobe and like everybody has a book. He talks about like the spiritual side and like kind of like the pursuit of happiness side. And then you ever meet Sethi, the author of the book yeah. that I recommended. His is all about finance, still kind of like betting on yourself, but like he's not talking about Jay Shetty topics. Jay Shetty's not talking about Ramit. And I feel like I can find myself in the middle. Mm -hmm. I have the financial expertise and knowledge and history as an advisor to talk about the finances. I have the personal experience and belief and conviction to talk about the betting on yourself, following yeah. your passions. And those two sides are sometimes opposite ends of the spectrum. A lot of times people know their passion, but they're afraid to follow it because they don't know how to make it work financially. Well, if I can educate you and, and, and bring to you knowledge about personal finances, how to manage it, how to think about money differently so that you can realize maybe you can't afford that or reevaluate re your current lifestyle and say, all right, if I give up these things that really aren't that important, I can go pursue this passion, which will make me happier. So in theory, I can live on less and be happier. And then I believe if you're, if you're doing your passion, you're going to see finances take care of themselves one of two ways. The, the one way is you realize you need less to be happy so you can get by on less money. Or I think when you're operating in your passion, you've found that purpose, you're doing your best work. 
And when you're doing your best work, you become more successful. And yep. with more success comes more money and your, your income rises and your financial security rises because you're doing the thing that you're best at and nobody else can be better than you in the world. And that's why I'm so passionate about passion. And I, I don't know if there's a right way to find your passion, um, but I think once you find it, you should follow it. Because there's a, an author, Cal Newport, who says, you're telling people to find, follow their passion is dis, disingenuous, that you should just go find a job and your passion will develop. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but then when I look at my life, that's what happened with financial services. Right. Like, yeah. I didn't go to college to be a financial advisor. I went to college hoping I could play in Europe, realizing I wasn't going to do that, going to go to law school. I meet my wife. I graduate not knowing what I'm going to do. And then I find the profession and I've developed a passion for it. So I do think that that's possible, but I also don't think you should tell somebody who's already found their passion not to pursue it. Right. Maybe you just don't leave your, your safe job today and go all in on the passion, but do it as a side hustle. Right. Slowly build it and see, A, do you even want to do it as a career? Because sometimes when you follow your passion and you do it, it no longer becomes your passion because now it's a job. Yeah. Uh, so you got to test it out. So test it out to see if you want it. Test it out, see if it's sustainable. And then if so, do some planning to then go bet on yourself and go all in. Yeah. Yep. And I think that leads to happiness for a lot of people. Yep. That's dope, man. I love it. So we're going to wrap it up here with all the right. hot seat. I'm nervous on the right. 10 questions, The hot man. seat, baby. 10 questions. Um, again, this, this show and the hot seat is brought to you by Hoist today. IV level nutrition, or excuse me, I, IV level hydration, my favorite sports drink on the market. Let's get right into the hot seat. We got 10 questions coming at you rapid fire. You can answer them however you want to. Okay. However deeply or shallow you want to. Okay. So we're going to get right into it. What is your most embarrassing basketball story? Most embarrassing basketball story. I'm glad to say that nothing pops to mind right away. <laughs> um, I'd have to say probably getting like, I never got dunked on because I didn't try to jump. Um, I don't have a, I was never the best defender, so I wasn't, go, oh, it's not embarrassing, but I'll tell you this. So sophomore year or junior year, uh, I started and we always had a, we always had the toughest schedule in the state. Like Lawrence Central did when I was in high school, every year toughest in the state. Second game of the year, we're playing North Central. So Jason Gardner, Mr. Basketball that year, went to Arizona, like yep. amazing player. I grew up playing against Jason at the Jordan YMCA because my mom worked there. So that's where I lived in the summer. So I knew who he was before everything blew up. So anyways, long story short, I remember I get the ball, first possession, like the first three possessions I got the ball, I didn't dribble because I was afraid <laughs> Jason shook. was going to steal it. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't put it down because he was so quick and Jason was guarding me. I was like, yeah. holy shit, Jason Gardner is guarding me. I'm not putting this ball down. Yeah. And then I lightened it up. And I will say that later that year we played him in sectional or uh, county. We lost, but I had 16. That's so solid. I, I redeemed myself. But that, that's probably <laughs> most of it. I was, too, I was too afraid to put the ball down. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> that just shows you how good he is. <laughs> What's your worst financial mistake you've ever made? Worst financial mistake. Um, I'm sure I've made a lot of them. It's probably centered around buying something I didn't need. Like I have a ridiculous Jordan collection. Mm -hmm. um, I see the when I look at the, yeah, I'd wear them in crazy. case you got in there. Crazy. Too. So I, I ended up getting a lot of the Jordans I didn't get to have when I was younger. Yeah. Um, so those aren't wise decisions, but you know, I don't really beat myself up and I would encourage a lot of people as well, most people as well. Don't beat yourself up over bad financial decisions, but like learn from it. Right. Um, I guess a missed opportunity I had since we were talking about NFTs, I bought a uh, crypto last year. 
And I bought a crypto for like 0.8 Ethereum at the time. And I think that was like $1,200, which is the most I put into any NFT. But the reason I did was somebody that I trust was talking about the project. And I was like, all right, if he's in on it, he's had a yeah. lot of success. Like he was bored ape crypto. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So I buy so I buy, I buy it. And at one point during the NFT craze, I had an offer for 14 ETH. So if ETH is Ethereum. Yeah. So I bought it at 0.8. It was at 14. Now mm. you can't kind of just do exact math from 0.8 to 14 because there's a dollar of ETH. Like mm -hmm. one ETH is worth something. But the dollar value of that offer was $48,000. Oh my God. I told yeah. my wife, if it hits 50, I'll sell it. It didn't hit 50. And now the offers are back down to like 1.3 and uh, Ethereum is like not near as old. So I could yeah. probably get back out even. Um, so it's a missed opportunity. But I will tell you, and this is I talked about earlier, like not investment advice, but I went into buying anything in crypto that if, I, if it goes to zero, it's we're not okay. Your life, I don't yeah. expect to hit it big. So I have no anxiety and I don't think about that lost money because I never expected to get it. And I didn't yeah. really, and I understand I don't have it till I sell it, but that's like the missed opportunity that would maybe be somebody else's. <laughs> that's tough. All right. Who was your least favorite NBA player growing up? Like your least favorite popular, somebody you, you hated growing up. Who did I hate growing up? It had to be somebody on the Knicks. I wasn't a big Ewing fan. Yeah. I probably, I would probably say Patrick Ewing off the top of my head. But all right, you got to start one. Bench one, cut one. Okay. Credit cards. Okay. Crypto, cash. Um. I. I don't know. Like in the future, I could say I could cut cash, because cash isn't really working. It's not doing anything for you. Like right. it's 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 losing purchasing power. I could leverage the credit card and then pay that off with crypto in the future. Um, but. If I'm saying for people in general, I would cut crypto, I would start cash and keep credit. That's the right way? Yep. For, mo for most people. And the, and the reason for that is just behavioral. Yeah. Like most people are going to be better off handling cash and that allows you to live within your means. Yep. Keeping the credit card in case you have an emergency or if you're, if you're responsible enough to be able to leverage it and pay the bills off. Like... You know, we are going to Cancun for New Year's. Our family's flights are free because we have a Southwest card and I pay it off and use the points. Yeah. And the reason I cut crypto is that for most people, it's not necessary right now. Right. Um, so that's why I went that Got way. Got you. Uh, all right. What's the most money you've ever spent on a pair of shoes? That's funny how this came up earlier. Yeah. Um, I have a pair of Jordan 4s that are like, it's like a mint. I forget, I forget the name of the color is. I think I got them for like, 325 but i would i would that's tell not, you my jordan if i didn't wear my jordan collection i would have made a shit ton yeah. of money on them like i bought i bought some cement fours really low and like they basically doubled yeah um so i and buying those shoes it, that was a reward yeah. so i spent a year last year working at a startup that was built that's building a platform for advisors for crypto so i had an additional income and i just Say when I hit this milestone, I'm going to go buy these yeah, shoes because yeah. that green color is like the accent on my personal website and I like yeah. it. So it was a reward. I wouldn't go spend that much again on a pair of shoes. That's that's not too bad. Yeah. I was I was expecting worse. No, nope, no. Nope. Um, all right. We, we're similar in age. We're, we grew up in decently similar era. 
you a Sega kid, Nintendo 64 kid, Atari kid, Xbox, PlayStation? What was your console growing up? So I was fortunate enough to grow up with all of them. So I had a Sega, uh, I had an Atari. Yeah, I would have been at your crib every day. I had an Atari, then I had a Nintendo, then I had a Sega Genesis. Um, then I, like, I was never a big gamer. Um, and the games that I liked was like, I liked Mario and Sonic. I hated yeah. the sports game. I hated Bond because everybody else played it a lot because I was hooping yeah. and they would just smash me. So it was not fun to play right. against my friends. And then in college, I had the first Xbox. Um, and so I would say of those, I would probably pick Nintendo just because yeah. it's more nostalgic. Like I remember smacking down the game, blowing in it to get it to work. So like <laughs> those, those games I would probably enjoy playing the most. You believe in ghosts? Yeah. Me too. Shit's weird. If you could be in any character, or excuse me, if you could be any movie character, any movie character, like specific character from a movie for the rest of your life, who would it be? For the rest of my life. Oh, man. For the rest of my life. I'm just trying to think about how lives play out. Because I was thinking Jesus Shuttlesworth. Oh, that's good. Um, that's a good one. But I don't know how his life plays out, and I'm thinking it through. And then, then I'm trying to think it through of anybody else. Like, now I'm going Marvel. Like, do I want to be Doctor Strange? Or like mm. somebody who lives infinitely and doesn't age? Um, we'll go with Jesus. Jesus? Yeah, Jesus Shuttlesworth. Jesus not, Shuttlesworth. Jesus, not the Jesus. <laughs> what, was the, what was that movie from Mel Gibson? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't uh, remember. Passion of the Christ? Yeah, I don't want to be that. <laughs> that's not good. No. That's not good. All right, two more here. Who's your Mount Rushmore of rappers? Oh, rappers. Yes, sir. Um, I had to get that in there. Kendrick, Pac, Biggie. I love rap so, so much. So that's my Nipsey. Uh, and I, I think this will be controversial, but I'm going to go Nas over Jay-Z. I'm going to go Nas. I like that. I like that. If I would have asked you like two years ago, mm -hmm. this is not on the list. And but Jay like, Cole would be really close as well. Would Kanye have ever been on that list had he not gone in the direction that Ka we're recently seeing from him? Kanye would have been on the list if we stopped the collection at my dark, twisted Beautiful fantasy. Dark fist, yeah. yeah but if we stopped there. Because what I appreciate in rap and hip hop is the lyricism. So like the words and the, like, mm -hmm. I listen to the words and, and like the wordplay I like, but I also like the ability to, to tell a story, yeah. which Kanye was really good at when he first came out. Right. And then he went more creative. Artistic and, yeah. on him. Yeah. So at that point to me, he shifts more to, okay, maybe he would have been a top five creator. Right. But to me, when I think hip hop, it's, it's lyrics it's the ability to put words together. So you think about, you know, Nipsey wasn't necessarily the greatest lyricist, but I loved like the hustle. Like I loved yeah. what he did and what he was about. Like, obviously I don't know him, uh, but I remember finding his, what is it? Bullets don't miss or whatever it was like the second mixtape. And I remember the first time I listened to him, I didn't really like it. And a few years went by, then I went, fell back down and, and really liked it. But I loved listening. And I still do listen to his, his interviews. Like he was yeah. just, I almost, I put him up there because I like his music and I love listening to it, but I also put it up there because of what he was talking about, what he was doing and who he was mm -hmm. that kind of puts him up there over like instead of being Jay-Z and Nas, like he gets up there because of that stuff. I agree. I agree. All right. Last thing. This isn't this isn't very spicy. Where can we learn more about you? Yeah. And your endeavors. So I would direct everybody to my website. It's justincastelli.io. And that links out to all of my businesses. It's kind of like a fancy link tree. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm on social media at Justin Costelli. So it's J-U-S-1-0. 
Castelli, C-A-S-T-E-L-L-I. Got you. I've always wanted, I've, I wish that there was like a suffix for a website that was oh, dot away. Uh-huh. So I yeah. could put Justin, O-C-H, dot away. And so I almost, did, I almost did it Justin Castell, dot I-O. Um, so then it would have Castellio. Castellio. But, yeah, but then but, people will be like yeah. confusing your name. Yeah, exactly. Now that's dope, man. I appreciate you guys. That was the hoist hot seat. Obviously, 10 questions, rapid fire, some random Q&A, just, just to kind of get to know it. you. You I know what it. I mean? Yeah. Like, what, what are you about? Like, what, what video games do you play? So I'll throw, I'll throw a, a hot seat question back to you. This is one I always ask on my oh, podcast. you put me on the hot yeah, seat. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Let's I'm go. taking let's over the go. podcast. I'm a podcast host. So I know how to do this. <laughs> let's go. So the one I always ask, I didn't get to ask actually yesterday because we ran out of time, but um, if you know, you're getting back to going to conferences, let's say you're a keynote speaker. Okay. What is the song that you come out to? And then the follow-up question to that, as you think through it, I'll give you a little more time. Since you, so what is the song you come out to? And is the song to get you hyped or is the song to get the crowd hyped? That's a really tough question. I'm going to have to steal that, first mm-hmm, of all. Mm-hmm. That'll be on the next episode. I, so to the listeners and, and viewers, the reason I like to ask that question is I think music tells us a lot about people. So keep thinking, I'll tell you mine. So right now... Mine would be, um, if I'm talking to financial advisors, it would be J. Cole's middle child mm-hmm. um, because I view myself in my profession as the middle child. So I'm, I'm 40. I don't feel like I'm 40. Like I identify with like you. Like I was like, oh, yeah, me and Justin would hang out and I find out I'm like six, seven years older than you. But yeah. I have friends that are like younger, 26, mm-hmm. and I mentor a lot of younger advisors. So I'm, I'm able to relate and communicate and hang with the young advisors but I can also call up all the old guys and talk to them. So I look at it as I'm, I can go between the two generations and I can bring them together. I can take the knowledge from the older advisors and what they've learned and educate the younger. And I can take the, you know, the excitement, the, the innovation from the younger and bring that to the older. Um, And even with like, I can do with crypto as well. Like you've got the advisors that have nothing to do with crypto and bring the two sides together. So middle child would be mine. So you got time to think. So what's yours? That's tough. Hold on. Let me, I got, I got a couple in my head. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'll pull up my Spotify real quick just so I can make a final decision. All right, that's fair. But I would probably say the first one that came to mind, like mm-hmm. when you first asked me, was um, Nipsey. Okay. Hustle and Motivate. Okay. So yeah. that that's probably because I'm going to go with my gut. I had, a, I had a couple other ones, but I'll go with Nipsey, Hustle and Motivate, um, and it would be – more to not get me hype mm-hmm. or not even really get the crowd hype, but really just to like set the standard for like what I'm here to do. Yeah. Like this is what I do day in, day out. This is what I've been doing my whole life. Mm-hmm. Now y'all get to hear a little piece of that in this keynote speech or this mm-hmm. presentation or whatever it is. But as I come on the stage and, and you hear that one, it lets you know, I love rap. Mm-hmm. It lets you know, I rock with Nipsey. Mm-hmm. It lets you know that, these are my intentions mm-hmm. and kind of what I want to do today at this conference and also just in my life in general. But it also is like subtle and, and soft and it's not like, you know, coming at you like mm-hmm. aggressively, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So probably Nipsey hustle and motivate. If, if I thought about it tonight, I'll mm-hmm. probably text you tomorrow mm-hmm. and maybe come with a, a different one that the words like really match up with my life. Yeah. But I think off top of the head, that's pretty good. I think it's the perfect one. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> hey, I really appreciate you jumping on the show, man. I appreciate um, the opportunity, man. Make sure you guys check out Justin. 
It still feels weird saying Justin about another person, <laughs> but <laughs> make sure you check out Justin and uh, give him a follow. Make sure you catch up with him on his pursuit. And again, I really appreciate you jumping on here, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir.